this morning we're going to be taking a break from the book of Exodus, and we're going to be looking at Psalm 57. And this psalm fits nicely with what we've been covering in Exodus. Because in Exodus, week after week, we've seen Israel fail the wilderness test. They've failed to walk by faith in God, in the God who has mightily rescued them and has graciously provided for them. They failed to walk by faith. Um, but in this psalm, we get a, a different picture, the, the opposite. We see a portrait of what it looks like to walk by faith, even in troubling circumstances. So this psalm has a very specific context. We see that it is written by David when he was fleeing from Saul, who was trying to kill him, and he had to hide in a cave. So how did David get into a situation like this? Well, if you remember, Saul was the king of Israel at the time. He had been anointed uh, by the prophet Samuel to be the king, and he had a great start. Um, but further down the road, he ultimately rejected the Lord. And so the Lord sent the prophet Samuel to anoint David to be the king after Saul. And so during this time, Saul was still the king and, and David was faithful to him. And everything David did was a success. Um, he defeated Goliath. Every military battle he, he was involved in was a victory. And so he was faithful to Saul this whole time, but Saul got jealous of David and sought to kill him using all the resources that the king of Israel had at his disposal. And so Saul is chasing and hunting David down, and David is at a very low point in his life here. And Saul and his men are zeroing in on him when he writes this psalm. And so here's what's amazing about Psalm 57. Instead of being dominated by these terrible circumstances, David lives by faith. He's a man who has taken shelter, not so much in a cave, but in God, his refuge. Let's read our text together. Psalm 57. To the choir master, according to do not destroy a mictum of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. The children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. 
Let's pray together as we consider it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and the gift it is to us, that it is a a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. It reveals the ways that we've gone astray. And more than that, it points to your love. It points to yourself as a refuge. It points to the Savior we desperately need. So we pray that you would help us during this time to give our attention to your word and to your truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, several years ago, I got to hike up uh, in the Rocky Mountains with some friends, and it started out as a beautiful day, but about halfway up, out of nowhere, this violent hailstorm opened up on us. So all of a sudden, we, are, we find ourselves sprinting down the mountain, covering our heads, uh, and being pelted by this golf ball-sized hail. And so what's going through our minds in this situation is this is painful, we are weak, and we need a refuge. And so this concept of of a refuge became crystal clear in this moment. What a good refuge is, is it's something that takes the hit for you. And so if it takes the hit for you and you dwell secure underneath it, that's what a good refuge is. And so we're running, desperately trying to get under a tree, to get under a rock, to take refuge, to get some relief, but none of that worked. We kept getting pelted by this, this hail. And so finally, after darting from one inadequate refuge to another, we finally sprinted far enough to find our way to a pavilion that had a roof over it, and we were safe. So the principle I want to get across to you is this. When you don't have a sound refuge, you don't have a sound life. You'll frantically, like my friends, and uh, run. You'll frantically run from ref- one refuge to another. But when you have a stable refuge, you can enjoy safety. You can enjoy security, assurance, confidence. You can enjoy the sheltered life. You see, God made us to find our shelter in Him and in Him alone. We were made to find our, our, in him our deepest needs of, of love, joy, and security in him. But because of our sin, each one of us looks to shelter in other things. So for you, it may be a career that whispers to you, if you just have me, if you just take shelter in me, then you'll be set. Or maybe it's a romantic relationship that says, if you can just get this person to like you, then you'll be okay. Or you may be a very religious person, always attending church, always trying to do the right thing, always helping little old ladies cross the street, whatever it is. Yet you, at the end of the day, don't have the security that you were made for. Why? Because your performance is your refuge, not God. And that's not enough. So all these substitute shelters whisper to us promises that they can't keep and they can't bear the weight of your soul because only God can. So you have to see we're weak, we're insecure, we live life like refugees going from one inadequate refuge to the other. Yet the good news of Christianity is that despite our sin, despite our shame, God is a refuge for us. So that's the main point I want to dwell on in our time this morning. Because God is our refuge, we can live by faith. Because God is our refuge, we can live by faith. 
So how can we live lives of faith that are not dominated by our circumstances? Our text presents to us three points that we'll consider. First, refocus on your refuge. Second, reset your hope. And third, rest in David's son. So first, refocus on your refuge. Look with me again in verse 1. It says, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. David here is giving us a picture of what true faith looks like. David sees these storms of destruction. He realizes that he's weak and that they would destroy him if he stood on his own. And he runs to God and takes refuge in him. So that's it. That's a definition of faith. Faith is taking refuge. Um, Years ago, my roommates and I, we thought it'd be a good idea to raise backyard chickens. So I got seven one-year-old baby chicks. I got them in a box and I opened them up, opened it up on the back porch and let them loose. And they showed up kind of dehydrated and hungry. I guess they hadn't been fed in a while and it was hot in the Alabama sun. So they were passing out. So I quickly gave them uh, food and water and they revived. And they quickly figured out that I was their caretaker. I was their provider. So it was kind of cute. They stayed close to me. They were in my shadow all the time. And then my roommate got home. And you need to know this about my roommate. He, he's a big, muscular guy. A lot of people thought that he was a lineman for the football team. And so he comes home in excitement, ready to see the baby chicks. And he busts through the back door with this loud crash. And so obviously this frightens the chickens, the baby chicks. They hear this loud crash. They see this large figure in front of them. And they do what's naturally hardwired in all baby chicks to do in that situation. And that is hide under mama's wings. And so with me sitting cross-legged on the ground, they make a beeline to hide under my legs. And they're all pressing in against each other, trying to get as close to me as possible. So something like that is what David is getting at when he says, in the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge. So the storms of destruction pass by. He's admitting, I'm like this baby chick. I'm weak. The circumstances around me are bad and beyond my control, but I have protection. I have safety, security in the shadow of your wings. So faith is taking refuge, but in the cave where David's at, faith can quickly lose focus. What's crystal clear one moment can quickly fade to the background the next, and the reality of our refuge can fall out of focus almost effortlessly. And what comes into focus, what comes into the foreground, are these challenging storms. So we continually need to refocus on our refuge. And so we see David do just that in verses 2 and three, he says, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. So what's David doing here? He's remembering who his refuge is. He's reminding himself who God is. He's fighting to refocus on his refuge. And so he makes himself stop and think, and he says, you are God most high. There's no one above you. There's no one who can go against your will, and even you are controlling this storm. 
there's no storm outside of your control. And so he's processing and he's thinking, if this God is for me, then I always carry the bigger stick. If this God is for me, who can be against me? Who is Saul compared to God most high? So he's meditating on the greatness of God. And not only that, he, he moves on to consider the goodness of God. In verse 2, he says, you're the one who fulfills your purpose for me. You work all things, even this storm, even these terrible circumstances I'm in, you work them all for good. You are good and you do good. And even if I don't understand this right now, or if I, even if I never understand it 50 years from now, I can trust that you are good and that you're going to do good even in this situation. Verse 3, we see him continue. He says, you're the God of steadfast love and faithfulness. He's, he's resting in like, that's who you are to the core. Steadfast love and faithfulness. You love, I love the way the Jesus Storybook Bible puts it. He says, it says, you love with that unfailing, never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love. And David thinks about, you're faithful. You make good on all your promises. You never change. So you see what he's doing. He's refocusing on his refuge. He's fighting to fill his mind with truth. And this process in the cave strengthens him. And so, friends, life can be very disorienting. And we need to ask ourselves the question, do we give ourselves the space? Do we give ourselves the time to remember who God is? To remember that he's God most high, that he's good, that he's loving, that he's faithful. Because the more we bring our refuge into focus, the more we're assured of his love, the more we're assured of his power to save us. And the more we're assured of that, the more our faith is strengthened. So you might be listening and, and thinking, okay, um, if I'm experiencing emotional pain, if I'm in a cave, I'm in a low spot, just don't even think about myself at all. Um, just think about these other things. Is that what this is saying? No. Verse 4 says this, My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. The children of man, whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. So at this moment, you might be like, all right, time out, David. Um, in verse 1, you said that your soul was in the shadow of God's wings. But here in verse 4, you're saying it's in a lion's den. Those are completely two different places. Like, which is it? Where is your soul, David? And it's almost like David says, yes. <laughs> it's both. That on the one hand, he's trusting God, that he's safe in God's care. But at the same time, he can be honest with God about what it feels like to be David. And so this is good news that you can hold both intention as you draw near to God. You can say, yes, on the one hand, my parents' divorce is excruciatingly painful. But yet on the other, I know that I'm safe in the hands of God. Yes, on the one hand, I'm lonely, but yes, I know that I'm beloved in Christ. Yes, I regret that decision that I made in my past every single day. But yes, Christ is my redeemer and healer. And so David shows us 
that you can go to him in all your messiness and find welcome. You can bring your, your tears, your wounds, your shame, and you'll find that he's eager to meet you with kindness. So I love this next verse in verse 5. Um, David doesn't get stuck in his pain. In verse 5, we actually see him lift up his heart to God. In verse 5, you'll notice, actually functions as, a, as the chorus of this psalm. And it's a prayer. And so you can think about it this way. This is the prayer that's on repeat in David's heart and David's mind. It's what's on repeat. And so I might expect, if I was in David's shoes, what's on repeat for me is, this is uncomfortable get me out of here, please change my circumstances. But it's amazing to see what he prays. He says, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. That's amazing to me. He's praying, be glorified in this situation. Be glorified as I take refuge in you. I want everyone through this situation to, to see more of your beauty, your power, your love, I want them to treasure you above all things. Be exalted, O God. Essentially, he's he's praying, Lord, however this situation works out, whether I'm delivered or not, I want you to do so in a way that brings glory to your name. That's amazing. So you may be in a cave of sorts right now. There may be storms howling in your life, and your soul may be feeling like it's in a den of lions. But our text is urging us to to make this your prayer. Make this your chorus. Put this on repeat in your prayer life. Be exalted in my situation. Be exalted in my singleness. Be exalted in my sickness. Be exalted in my marriage. Be exalted in my infertility. Be exalted in this storm. Because God is our refuge, we can live by faith. We've seen that to do that, we need to refocus on our refuge. And secondly, we need to reset our hope. So in verses 1 through 5, David has lifted up his heart to God in prayer. And now in verses 6 through 11, we see that David lifts up up his eyes to the future. And he begins daydreaming about what life is going to be like outside the cave. He starts daydreaming about opportunities that he might get outside the cave. In a word, he resets his hope. So look with me in verse 7. He says, my heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast. So what, what he means by that, that word steadfast is my heart is fixed. My heart is set aright. It's prepared. It's ready to pour forth praise whenever I get the opportunity. And he keeps going. And I want you to try to hear the, the note of defiance that he has with this hope that he's taking. He says, I will sing and make melody. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. So did you hear that defiant hope? He's in a cave. He's being chased down by his enemies. And yet he's eagerly expecting future opportunities to glorify God. And specifically, what he mentions in verse 9 is that he desires an opportunity to praise and thank God among the nations. 
That is, among those nations, among those peoples who do not yet know the God of Israel and therefore do not have a true refuge and therefore don't have a sure hope. So it's crazy to think David being chased down in a, in a cave, where his mind goes is he's longing for an opportunity for evangelism, to take the glory of God and to sing it among the nations. Several years ago, um, I was talking to one of my little cousins. She had just gotten back from Disney World for the first time. So as you can imagine, she was bouncing off the walls. Um, and at the time, I'd never seen the movie Frozen. Um, and so she was wearing a big Frozen t-shirt and she was singing all the Frozen songs. And I was just really confused. And finally, I was like, you know what? I've never, I've never seen that movie Frozen. And the look on her face when I told her that was one of just shock and almost like she felt sorry for me. Um, and it, what was going on in her head was probably something like, wait a minute, you're telling me that you live in a world where you know nothing of the joys of Frozen. You've never experienced the, the depths of the, the joy, the excitement of watching Frozen. It's almost like she felt sorry for me. And so she said out of that, she's like, what? You have to see it. It's the awesomest. Like she said, quote, I, I've seen it 600 times. Uh, <laughs> and so that's evangelism. And, and I didn't take any offense to that. I could see that she really did love Frozen. She loved me. She wanted to, me to be a part of that joy. She wanted me to know the joys of Frozen. And so here in our text, David's heart is delighting so much in God's loving kindness towards him, towards his faithfulness towards him, that he wants others to be caught up in that same joy. And so I want you to ask yourself, what opportunities might God have for you to invite others into that joy, into the joy of knowing Jesus? David concludes this psalm by repeating the chorus again, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. In a word, he's, he's not praying, you know, David, let, let David be exalted, let my kingdom come, let my will be done. But what that, the heart of that prayer is saying is, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Let the nations know your love, your greatness. And whenever I get the opportunity, I'm ready. So because God is a refuge for us, we can take, we can live by faith. And we've seen we can do that by refocusing, resetting our hope. And finally, we'll consider the last point, rest in David's son. Rest in David's son. So at this point, you might be thinking, okay, okay, David's faith has elevated him above his circumstances. That's amazing. I admire that. I want that. But Josh, have you seen my faith? Like, how can I be sure that he'll be a refuge for me? Like, my faith is weak. It's fickle. How can I know that he'll be a refuge for me? And the answer is look to and rest in David's son, Jesus Christ. You see, if my salvation and your salvation was dependent on the strength of our faith, that'd be terrible news. Why? Because my faith is weak. My faith is not perfectly faithful. And consider David himself. He's a great example of faith here in this moment, but consider his whole life. Um, 
if you consider his whole life, he's, he's a mixed bag just like the rest of us, a mixed bag of belief and unbelief. We see later in his life, his biggest failure is with Bathsheba, and it, it occurs out of the cave. He's not in the cave anymore. He's in the palace. He's the king. And there he has his lapse of faith and commits murder and adultery and lies and covers it all up. And that's the same David as the David that's in the cave. So the point is this. If we are saved by the strength of our faith, we're all in deep trouble. Um, But here's the good news. Faith is always dependent on its object. Faith is always dependent on its object. I want you to think about it this way. Say that there, you got two people who uh, come to a frozen river and they want to cross and get to the other side. The, and if you had like a f- faith meter that was above their heads that you could kind of see the level of their faith, um, the first guy would be kind of a 10 out of 10. Um, he's confident. He's done his research. He knows that the, the ice is going to have a particular thickness at this time of the year. And so he crosses full of confidence, singing. Uh, There's no doubt in his mind, and he makes a cross on the other side. That's the first person. The second person, if you look at his faith meter, it's barely registering. We'll just call it a a one out of ten. He's full of doubt. And honestly, he's probably even filled with more doubt because he's just seen somebody walk across the ice, and he's like, maybe he just cracked it with his weight going across it. So he's got even more doubt. But at the end of the day, with fear and trembling, he goes across to the other side. And he makes it. Okay, now at this point, let's imagine that we go across the other side and we get to interview these two men. And we say, wow, you guys had amazing faith. Like, tell me all about it. And I imagine that they would look at each other and laugh and say, actually, it didn't have so much to do with, like, the level of our faith. It had everything to do with the strength of the ice. You see, faith is always dependent on its object. If the object is strong, if the, if the ice is thick, then you're good. No matter if your faith is, is a is 1 out of 10 or a 10 out of 10, because what matters is the strength of the object. So, you, friends, you have to see that if your faith is in your faith, if your faith is in your ability to, to keep it together, to keep your eyes on Jesus, then that's not a strong object. But if your faith is in Jesus Christ, he is a strong savior. He is mighty to save. He has a grip that is strong and will not let you go, and no one can snatch you out of his hand. If your faith is in him, even if it's the size of a mustard seed, your faith, your salvation is rock solid because it rests on Jesus. You see, Jesus was, is the son of God. He's the descendant of David. And he became a man voluntarily to put himself through life storms. The storms of loss, loneliness, abandonment. So that he might be, as Hebrews says, your faithful and sympathetic high priest. And there's no other religion with a God like that. There's no other God, there's no other religion that has a God that can put his hand on your shoulder in your deepest, darkest moment and say, I know what that feels like. A God who loves you so much that he'd voluntarily face life storms just so that he could be with you through them, through your life storms. 
And more than this, we can rest in Jesus because he took the storm that we could never survive. He took the storm of God's wrath due to our sin. See, so holy and just is God that he cannot clear the guilty. He must judge sin. But instead of that falling on you and me, the guilty ones, on the cross, the storm of God's wrath opened up on Jesus for sin, though he had never sinned. And he did not receive shelter from God his Father. And there was no refuge for him in that storm. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken, abandoned when the storm of God's wrath opened up on him. And it killed him. Why? Why would he be willing to go through that? And the only answer is, he did it for you. It must have been because he really loved you and me. He was abandoned. He was forsaken on the cross so that all who take refuge in him might never be forsaken. You remember what the definition of a good refuge is? It's something that takes the hit for you. So, so on the cross, what Jesus was doing, he was becoming my refuge, your refuge. He was taking the hit for us so that all who take refuge in him might dwell safely, might have eternal life. And more than that, he rose victorious and he gives us his own spirit so that we might know for certain that he loves us. So let me close all this by asking, where are you in relation to Christ? Are you outside of Christ, not having yet taken shelter in him? Or maybe you're in Christ, but you're going through a storm. Or maybe you're in Christ, but you're struggling with the motivation to live by faith. But wherever you are, the call from Jesus Christ is the same. He says, come to me. I want to be your refuge. Your faith will grow as you rest in me and what I did for you. And I love the, the promise Jesus himself gives us in John 6, verse 30, 37. He promises, whoever comes to me, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Friends, he is our only refuge. Let's go to him. Because he's your refuge, you can live by faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending us your son, Jesus Christ, who became a refuge for us. I pray wherever we are that we would have the strength. You give us the grace to draw near to you and be strengthened by you. Um, and we pray that throughout this week, that we might meditate on you more and live by faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.